Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. Thoughts and comments expressed here are the opinions of Chad and Lou, and not necessarily those of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studios. Caution, this show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. and welcome to episode 9 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversation based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Lou Schwalbach. Alongside me is Chad Knight. This week, we'll be discussing those rock songs that usually have the ability to tug at the heartstrings of even the hardest person. Other times, these songs have the knack for causing people to instantly throw a fist in the air, most often with a disposable lighter lit. Of course, we're talking about the mighty power ballad. Power ballads are a unique style of song that everyone has heard and possibly even resonated with at least once in their lives. They hit the height of their mainstream popularity during the hair metal era of the 80s. When grunge rolled around, they took a back seat and are still produced today, just not nearly as frequently or prolifically. That's just a terrible word to try to say. The power ballad can be broken down into two main archetypes, the sappy tearjerker and the rousing fist bumper. Tearjerkers are most commonly associated with songs that are power ballads, and were the songs that were about a few different things that often pertain to relationships and or love. Lost love, loving someone so much it hurts, heartbreak, etc. They were different than your typical love song, though, because they had some element of rock to them, which is why they're power ballads versus regular ballads. These are usually get played at school dances for slow dance times. I didn't really do too much of those, but, you know, hey, I'm sure you might have. I I did do my fair number of slow dances in the uh, middle school and high school era just because, well, you know what? I was sexy. Okay. Well, I see that hasn't changed. They sometimes get named as their song, you know, like this is our song between, you know, Johnny and Sue or whatever the case is. Or on the flip side, they're thought of when someone is sitting alone, thinking about their former girl or boyfriend and reminiscing, read crying and hating their life about <laughs> what has changed. Now, fist bumpers, on the other hand, they're more of the anthem that everyone could get behind. It would usually tell a story that would hit you right in the feels for whatever reason. You like that, don't you? You like the feels. I'm a sensitive man, damn it. No, no, I mean, you just like saying the feels. Every episode, we have to talk about the feels. Because it's it's so appropriate and it works. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Now, these are the type of ones that, you know, if you were to look at the audience of a live show, you're going to see some form of lighter or phone lit in people swaying along to the music. Today, my companion and I are going to talk about our few favorite power ballads. So sit back, get your Bic or tub of ice cream ready, and let's get this show started. Now, I'm going to start with you, Chad. What do you want to go with first? All right. So my first one is Silent Lucidity by Queensryche. Good song. This 1991 power ballad was released on the album Empire by the band Queensryche. This American progressive metal band does a great job singing this ballad. Now, I spent years trying to figure out what the song was all about. And it wasn't until we were sitting down and I was going through uh, trying to figure out what I was going to say about it that I finally got the answer. And the answer? Lucid dreaming. Controlling your dreams. Uh, Here, listen to this bit of it. Lucidity 
Now, this is a great power ballad and something that intrigues me as a topic, lucid dreaming, taking control of life inside the dream. What do you think of this song, Lou? I actually, I've never been a huge Queensryche fan all in all. However, this is one of my more favorite songs of theirs. Um, it's just a good, you're right, it's a good power ballad and nice, even flow. And honestly, it does make you think of dreaming, just kind of the way that it progresses throughout it. And I don't know about you, but I wish I could control my dreams. That'd be cool as hell. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing, I, I have a slight story about this song. Okay. So before I was got married. Was it from mar- a dance? It was from a dance. Ah, but let me course. Let me get to this. When I was about 14, 15 years old, and, uh, you know, all my cousins, my older cousins and everything, they're all getting married. You know, everybody's getting married. We're doing four or five uh, weddings a year. Oh, you know? God. I, I made a promise to myself. I said, I'm going to go. I'm not going to get married until I've caught 10 garter belts. Okay, fair enough, right? Okay. You know, I was 15. What the hell do I know? Do you still have your 10? I never got to 10. I got to 7. That's still pretty damn impressive. Yeah, it was. But anyway, so one of the first dances that after I made this personal thing where I said I was going to do this, I caught the garter belt. And the girl who caught the bouquet, of course, you know, you have to dance together. Sure. She must have been, you know, I was 15. She must have been 26, 27. Oh, cougar. Yeah, you know, kind of thing. But... So we're dancing, right? And this is the song that comes on. And they played the extended version. Oh, good God. So it was like nine minutes of dancing with this girl who was drunk and handsy. And I'm going to guess that at that time, whereas when you were maybe older, it'd be like, she was handsy. Back then you were probably like, oh my God, what's she doing? Yeah, why is she touching my butt? But anyway, what, what do you got for us next, Lou? My first one is Dream On by Aerosmith. A great song. It's a fantastic song. It's one of the first hits, if not the first ones, by Aerosmith. Uh, Steven Tyler wrote this one back and released it in 1973, so it's older than both of us. And this was their first major hit off their self-titled debut album. It tells a story about someone who's realizing where they are in life and kind of where they're planning on going. Let's just take a quick listen here. Sing with me, sing for the year, sing for the laughter, sing for the tear. itself starts out as kind of a slow burn using Steven Tyler's real voice that he said he really wasn't a fan of, which is why all of his later stuff is more of the screamy type. And so he kind of ramps it up and then towards the end you get that trademark Steven Tyler sound. The low register used is totally different than most of the other catalog and because of which some people don't even know it's them until the end of the song and it's just like, oh, that's who that is. I've actually personally tricked a couple people saying, I bet you don't know who this is. And then finally play the end. They're like, oh, that was them? Really? <laughs> no, I can see that. I mean, it's it's a voice that you would not put with, you know, Steven Tyler. Or a sound that you wouldn't put with Aerosmith and the Toxic Twins. No, no, not really. And Dream On is actually considered by critics as arguably one of the first power ballads of the, of the era. Well, yeah. I mean, if you go back to 73 and you're talking about power ballads, it's got to be one of the one of the first. Absolutely, and they've covered it a few different times. They've recorded it, in fact, for the Last Action Hero soundtrack, the okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. They did it with the, it was a Philharmonic Orchestra, actually. So they did their song, and then they had, kind of like Metallica did with S&M, and it sounded pretty good. Right, and they, you've seen that since then, where they've done it with, where you get these big 
orchestras come in and they they either back or uh, Guns N' Roses does it mm-hmm. in um, a few of their songs. In fact, we'll talk about one of them later. Sure. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's a great song. It's um, it's well written. It's well put together. It is definitely a power ballad. Mm, absolutely. So, so what do you got for me? Up next, I have uh, Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue. In 1985, glam metal band Motley Crue released Home Sweet Home, a song that is about, well, coming home after the long tour is over. Considered a power ballad before power ballads were really a thing, even though I might have to fix that. It They were one of the first glam metal bands to do power ballads. Okay. Motley Crue was an innovator of the power ballad. Here, listen to what I mean. Motley Crue songs, along with Wildside, that credits singer Vince Neil with the songwriting. What's your take on this, Lou? I'm going to disagree with you on this one here because I personally hate this song. I it played, it got played so much, and everybody forced it down your throat that I just can't stand. I will change the station if this song comes on. Really, it drives me nuts. I it's not that bad of a song, but I think just the fact the overexposure, I'm done with it. I it hasn't healed to the point where I can listen to it as of yet. You know, and I and I get you there. The same thing happened to me. Now, you know, as you know, I'm a huge Bon Jovi fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. The song Bad Medicine oh, my gosh. was so overplayed that even to this day, 90% of the time when I got a CD in or I'm listening to it, I will skip through that song just because it was so overplayed. So I get what you're saying there. But uh, what do you have for us next? My next one actually is also one about um, coming home, and that is... Mama, I'm Coming Home by Ozzy. Oh, good song. It's, the Prince of Darkness isn't really known for his softer side when it comes to his music. I no. mean, usually it's hard, it's fast, it's in your face, it's, you know, make you bleed from your ears, your nose, your eyes, and that's usually one of his slower songs. Right. You know, and the guitar work by Randy Rhodes or, or Black Label Society founder Zach Wilde, it's not meant for softer stuff. It just really isn't. So when... Ozzy came along and off of the No More Tears album in 1992 showed us the sensitive side with this song kind of co-written with Zach Wilde and Lemmy of Motorhead. We were all stunned. Right. And I mean, there was more than that on that album. There was also No More Tears, which really wasn't a normal Ozzy song either. No, it wasn't quite as soft and kind of lovey per se. Right. Well, let's take a listen to this one. I don't care about the sunshine, yeah, cause my You know, the song, he wrote it with those two aforementioned artists, you know, as coming back to his then-estranged wife, Sharon, that he has a nickname for as Mama. To me, this really is a tearjerker style because it's kind of like, you know, you're on the road and you want to come back. You're kind of on your knees coming back to the one that you love. It has kind of sad-ish tones to it, but there's a glimmer of hope that they're staying together, which obviously, as of now, they're still... Yeah, absolutely. I enjoy the song. Uh, My Mom Coming Home was um, actually one of those songs that we both picked for our list, and somebody had to get it, and uh, you did. You know, it's just one of those songs where, you're right, it brings out a side of Ozzy that 
the general public doesn't see. No, no, and it's nice to be multifaceted in that case. Right, and you know, Ozzy, uh, well actually I shouldn't say Ozzy, but Black Sabbath just did their farewell tour, they are done, and I think Ozzy is hanging it up next year. It's one of those songs that once Ozzy's gone and, you know, music changes again, those are the kinds of songs that are going to be replayed, though. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely one of those that is going to be part of his legacy. So what do you got for me? All right. I've got Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone by Cinderella. This power ballad by Cinderella was released in 1988 and peaked at number 12 on the U.S. charts. The song is pretty straightforward as to what it's about. Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone. A song about the longing of doing everything in the relationship wrong, and now all I have is this song. Here, give it a listen. Now, not a whole lot more to say about this song. It's a, it's a great song and almost makes you believe in trying to do things right. What are your thoughts on the song, Lou? It's, it is a quintessential hair metal power ballad song. I mean, the, the screechy voice kind of takes a little bit away from me because the dude who sings from Cinderella, I don't know his name, is not the most easy to listen to on a high volume. I would agree with that. But it is, I mean, if you listen to your words, it is absolutely something that is a power ballad. There is, it's on the definition page. Yeah, it yeah, it really is. All right, so Lou, what do you got next? We're going to go and change gears just a little bit. I've got Alone by Heart. In 1987, the song was released. It was, you know, Anne and Nancy Wilson. Wasn't called there a Carney in there? Somewhere? No, that's Wilson Phillips. That's, that's Wilson right. Phillips, yeah. It's all them damn Wilson kids. Gives us this power ballad about a woman waiting and wondering where her lover is, hoping she won't end up spending the night by herself without them knowing how much she actually cares for them. And let's give a quick listen. pretty mellow i mean kind of on a lower scale and going through and then all of a sudden it just kind of explodes and she kind of just gives it everything and you get her feelings kind of coming out of her and just kind of bursting forth as she's singing it it's it's a pretty powerful song if you listen to it from start to finish okay now i'm not placing this song i may know it if i you know when i hear it but it's not a song that um must rank up there in, in, in memories for me. And it may be just, I, you know, never really heard it or never really listened to it kind of thing. I'm going to take your word on this one, that it's a power ballad and that uh, what you're saying about it's true. It's probably one of those songs for you that you're going to know it once you hear it, but it's like, oh, oh okay, I know what one that is. Because there's, there's a lot of them that I'm sure that you, you kind of snap your fingers going, I know this. Okay, I got it now. Fair enough. So what you got for me for the next one? All right, so the next one I've got is Never Say Goodbye by Bon Jovi. Released in 1987 on the Bon Jovi album Slippery When Wet, best album they ever put out, by the way. Written by John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora. Let's listen, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. 
of power ballads and love songs. When it comes to glam metal bands, I don't think you can really argue with that. I know when we started talking about this, you asked, does a power ballad have to be a love song? And I said no, and I think the songs we have looked at so far prove that point. This song, however, is a love song, or at least a song about love. It's a plea for the significant other to never say goodbye, or basically, please don't leave me. Lou? Yeah, you know, I mean... There's, there's really not a whole heck of a lot more to say about that. You're exactly right. Bon Jovi kind of puts his heart on his sleeve and says, this is how it's going to be. This is what I'm singing, and please don't go. Now, let's get real for a second. I don't think Bon Jovi really ever has a problem holding on to a woman if he wanted to. Well, he's been married to the same woman since 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit, actually. They kept the marriage secret for a long time because, you know, rock stars are supposed to be single. They're supposed to be, you know, these womenizing. Available, yeah. Yep. So and, how did the evidence of the marriage come out? Was it just somebody who was looking? Eventually, John's just like, fuck it. I'm married. This was, is... this was is somebody looking It was their... his high school sweetheart he married. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Or just like their expenditures. Somebody noticed there was way too much Aquanet going through? Or, or yeah, like, I don't know. It's like, there's too much for one person. There must be a second person. What's going on? Well, no. I mean, the label knew. The band members knew. Oh, yeah. But it was secret from the viewing world, the listening world. You know what, though? And I'm going to give them props for that one. Because there's often times where the media or TMZ or whatever else, they want to focus on everything. And really, it's none of our goddamn business. I agree. You know, and, you know, it's Sting. Sting's been married forever, and to the same person, I believe, and they're happy, they, they're they quiet from the media, and I'm perfectly cool with that. I don't need to know what they do all the time. Right, now, are you, have their privacy. are you a fan of reading, like, biographies about bands? I do like reading those, yes. I don't like the unauthorized stuff, because I think they make shit up. It's possible, but a lot of these books, and, and I've read quite a few of them, a lot of them... If you really read between the lines when these guys are telling their stories about all their conquests and all this stuff, when they get to a certain point, they're just like, the fuck was I thinking? Well, that could be said about any rock star, though, or any performer, for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, we all hold these guys up there because they get all these women every night. They're fucking somebody. And, you know, but in reality, I, I wouldn't want that kind of a lifestyle. No. You know, I mean, and of course, the younger me might have been like, oh, yeah, more tail, whatever else. Now I'm I'm happy. You yeah, know what I mean, I don't have to go and worry about what I might be coming home with. <laughs> I don't have to worry about penicillin shots. I don't right. have to worry about any of this crap. Well, and there's so much more now that penicillin doesn't take. Well, we're not even going to get into that. But right. at the so, same time, I mean, the, the sentiment is there. You know, I mean, I'm perfectly good with where I'm at. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we may all talk a good game about, oh, my God, she'd be fun in bed, but. We're not going to go for it. Right, exactly. So what do you got next, Lou? What I got next, you did your one of your favorite artists with yep. Bon Jovi, yep. and now I'm going to do one of mine, and that's uh, When It's Love by Van Halen. You know, and like I've said in the past, I'm not a huge Van Halen fan. That song, I like that song. That's a little surprising because it is one of their slower songs, and it's a Sammy song, no less. I know it's a Sammy song. That being said, Sammy and the gang asks the eternal question, how do I know when it's love? And the answer in the song honestly just says, straight from the heart, I can't tell you, but it lasts forever. Which, really, that's that's the eternal question and answer right there. I mean, you've been married for 20 plus years. Yep. And you probably still don't know what the answer is. How do I know that it's love? She's still to, here. She still lets me touch her bathing suit areas. 
it. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, you're right. How do you answer that question? And I it's have... different to a different person. I mean, yeah. my answer would be different than yours. But moving back to the song, um, we'll listen to a little clip of that. itself really isn't dedicated to a specific person but it's almost like an educational song you know that i can envision the advice coming from a parent to a child in the high-pitched sammy way you know so where like dad's telling the kid you know how do i know it's going to be love dad you're not going to know you're just going to need to go with it and kind of let it go you're going to feel it it's it's a feeling really well exactly it's and it's not so much of a feeling of you know like what's going how do i know it's love it's more of a for it's, me anyway it's more of a feeling that i know that if she wasn't part of my life there would be something missing and it's a bit of an intuition thing too yeah absolutely and you know say what you want about van halen or van hagar you know this song would not have worked with david lee roth no i don't think i don't think he would have been able to bring it back enough to make it he into he wouldn't a, be able to rein it in right that's what i'm saying he wouldn't be able to rein it into a point where it would be a true ballad so what you got next for me? Well, next, I've got I Remember You by Skid Row. Now, Skid Row released this single off their self-titled album, Skid Row, in 1989. This song, written by bandmates Rachel Bolin and Dave the Snake Sabo, got to number 23 on the U.S. charts. Here, take a listen. In a 2007 interview, vocalist Sebastian Bach commented, I Remember You was the number one prom song in the United States in the year 1990. You talk about making memories. Literally the whole country of America did their prom dance to I Remember You one year, and that's a real heavy memory to beat. <laughs> I think he has a good point. He does. Now, I mean, I'm sure you went to prom. I did not go to my prom. I went to Mickey's prom. And was And song I playing? remember school dances and that song playing, absolutely. I never had... I remember the song, and I remember dancing to it. Now, I did go to other dances that weren't with Mickey, so whether or not I danced this song with Mickey is, is questionable. Just say yes. Yes. I danced this song with my wife. There you go. So, what do you think, Lou? You know, and I remember you... I mean, this is, again... Again, very much a power ballad. It's Sebastian Bach, you know, singing on here. It's got a great message to it. And his voice, unlike the dude from Cinderella, can pull off high volume on this one, which is, I think, probably why they played this instead of Cinderella at the dances. It's, again, it's got a great theme to it, and it's just a good song. I I've, have to say this is one of my favorite Skid Row songs that is on the sl slower or softer side. Oh, yeah. I mean, they are, you know, truly a metal band. And when, you know, Sebastian Bach was the lead singer, they've had a couple lead singers since then. I still, when I think Skid Row, I think, you know, Sebastian. Oh, yeah. What do you got next, Lou? Next for me is going to be Keep On Loving You by Ario Speedwagon. Okay, good song. This one is going to be one of your tearjerkers again. It came out in 1980. Kevin Cronin and the band were singing and belting out about the incredible feeling about how his lady is being cold and distant towards him. And even though she's been around and around and around 
per the lyrics. They were together before everything and he still loves her. Let's take a quick listen. And I'm gonna keep on This one's a powerful song of unconditional, enduring love that was played during many junior or high school gym dances in the 80s. The video for this was one of the first played on the day of MTV broadcast on August 1st, 1981. It was the 17th video ever played, which we all know which number one was. Yeah, it was uh, Pat Benatar. No. No, 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 no. Pat Benatar was second. What was the first one? Video Killed the, the radio, radio Star by The Buggles. Yes. And August 1st actually is my dad's birthday, so he's very fond of remembering this one also. Uh, yeah, I mean, REO Speedwagon, they, they had a few good uh, songs, power ballads, those kind of things. But, I, you know, it's a great song. Keep on loving you. I'm sure I made out to this song at some point. I'm sure <laughs> most of us have in this age range, you know. It's one of those things where it's a good song, good memories, you know, dances, those kind of things. And uh, that's really all I got to say about it. Yeah, there's really not a whole heck of a lot to go with it. Uh, how are you going to follow that? I'm going to follow that with, um, I think, one of the quintessential power ballads, Every Rose Has Its Thorn by Poison. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they released this power ballad in 1988, The Days of the Power Ballads. This from their Open Up and Say, Ah, album. With the edited cover, if you yes, remember that. Yes, with the edited cover, yep. This song made number one in the U.S. charts for three weeks in 1988 to 89. Here, here take a listen. In an interview with VH1's Behind the Music, Brett Michaels said the inspiration for the song came from a night when he was in a laundromat waiting for his clothes to dry, and he called his girlfriend on a payphone. Payphone! I know, how quaint, right? Yeah. Michael said he heard a male voice in the background and was devastated. Ouch. He, he said he went into the laundromat and wrote, Every Rose Has Its Thorn, as a result. I think every happy couple has slow danced to this song of devastation. I know I have. Lou? I didn't, but then again, that's just because I didn't go to dances. Okay, fair enough. So, <laughs> But I can understand that. And, you know, thinking about it, how stupid were we if we danced, you know, we're holding our head on the shoulder to a dan to a song about something horrible. That just devastated this man to the point that he wrote this song. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of funny. And if you think about music in general, a lot of slow songs or power ballads really don't have a happy vibe to them. What do you got next, Lou? Actually, I have one that does have a happy vibe. Hey, to we it. like happy vibes. Exactly. This one is Faithfully by Journey. Oh, yes. Good song. Um, 1983 song. The keyboardist Jonathan Cain wrote this song about a touring artist and the trials and tribulations of maintaining a solid relationship with his significant other. Now, you know, anybody who's touring, you know, obviously, as we mentioned before, I mean, there's two kinds. There's the ones that try to go out and get as much as they can, and there's the ones that try to follow this and try to stick with their significant other spouse. Well, let's take a quick listen. Oh, girl, you stand by me. I'm forever yours. 
the words of traveling and everything else may not apply to everybody, I challenge you to find anyone who's with their significant other who wouldn't want to hear those words, I'm forever yours faithfully. It's, it really, I can imagine how it would be tough traveling, especially if you have someone who you want to spend time with. You know, we've talked about, you know, artists, well, let's just kind of break genre for a second, but wrestlers, you know, all those who are working 50 weeks of the year, they get two weeks at home where they can spend with their families. It, it can be tough, you know, and this song itself is just such a great testament that there are people actually trying to make their uh, relationship work. Yeah, to, to remain faithful, especially in this day and age where, you know, the divorce rate is high and all this other stuff that, you know, you, you have a song that just reminds you that, you know, even though it's tough and everything's hard, you should still strive to be, you know, part of a faithful relationship. Exactly. All right, so the last one I've got for today is uh, November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Really? You're you're climaxing with this with a gun song? No way. <laughs> hey, at least it wasn't a Jovi song. But that's in there, too. Or a Beatles song. Fair enough. I'm a little surprised that Beatles didn't make this list. Well, they didn't. You know, like I said, I'm a big Beatles fan, but it's not an obsession anymore. They weren't really a power ballad band, though. No, they weren't. They were, they were just... Well, anyway, they were what they were. But anyway, November Rain by Guns N' Roses. This 8 minute and 57 second song was the longest song in history to enter the top 10 in the U.S. charts. It peaked at number 3, written by Axl Rose and believed to be a work in progress from around 1983 until it's released in 1992. You know, it shows Axl's perfectionist side and how... There's a lot of stuff in the industry about how he's such a perfectionist that he's almost a perfectionist to the point of being an asshole. And I think showing that it took him, you know, nine years to write and record this song kind of shows that. Listen to this piece of the song. Now, I think this is one of the best power ballads that, that I'm aware of. It takes time to listen to it, and it's almost nine minutes, but honestly, I love it. It's a story of lost love, really. You know, he uh, talks about how standing in the cold November rain is not even as bad as some of the stuff that's happened in his life, or in the character's life in the song. Sure, sure. So, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Lou? You know, and this is, like, was it off of one of the Illusion albums, I think? Yeah, it was off Use Your Illusion. I want to say two, I thought. Well, we'll we'll have to look. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to look. It's off the Use Your Illusion, though. That I've got, I know that for certain. One of those two. I seem to recall this one having two music videos for it, actually. I think they made multiple copies, multiple different versions. They did. Um, It was a good song. It still is a good song that has emotion behind it. I mean, there is no doubting that. I mean, Axel does put his emotion... Regardless if you love him or hate him, or have both feelings towards him, you can still buy that this is definitely heartfelt. Whereas something like Sweet Child of Mine is kind of a, still just a rock song, not really a ballad. Right. This one is more of a true power ballad. Right. No, absolutely. Lou, round us out. You know what? You said that you think this is the quintessential, and I think I might have you topped on this one. All right, try me. I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. I I know the song. I've listened to the song. I'm not a huge fan of the song. Well, and that could be because it, it's a little older. It, it is an 80s song. And 
Foreigner's not known for this kind of music, so you don't really listen to Foreigner for this. But this song really doesn't need an explanation. I mean, think of the title. You know, I want to know what love is. If you look up the definition of power ballads, it's just there. You know, that's going to be one of the top five, if not the top two. Okay, I, I can give you that. I mean, well, it is a great power ballad. It definitely fits the genre. Yeah, let's, let's listen to a little snip of it. Now, this tearjerker, I mean, if, again, if you look up, if you look up power ballads, there's probably going to be a YouTube link for it saying, watch this video. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be quite that, but go on. Well, the singer puts it out there hammering about his heartfelt yearning for love. Um, this one wasn't played as much in love times as it was for breakups where, you know, the guy was pleading for another person, you know, basically saying, you know, I just had this horrible heartache, you know, I want to know what love is. This is the ice cream moment. And I mean, I wouldn't say this is my favorite song of Foreigners. It's some that I would listen to. I'm not going to turn off. It was kind of neat that they put like a gospel choir in the back of it. And it's just, I think it's uh, one of those top power ballads. Fair enough. All right, so that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Remember, if you want to drop us a line, uh, tell us about the power ballads we missed, uh, give us criticism or praise or whatever you want to, you know, let us know. And, uh, you know, if you let us, if you give us permission, we will read your stuff on air. You can email us at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at Musically Challenged Podcast. So drop us a line. Let us know what you guys think. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>